teaching from the book of Acts. I'm in Acts chapter 8, and uh, I'll give uh, the context for our verse this evening. Uh, We'll be looking at ministry through Philip. You'll remember that Philip was one of the first seven deacons, and when persecution broke out in Jerusalem, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the rest were scattered in Judea and Samaria. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And also the Lord used him to perform signs. And it was a wildly successful, blessed uh, time of evangelism. People believed on the Lord and were baptized. And you remember the the historical outline of the book of Acts that that Jesus gave before he ascended, and that was that they would carry the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria, the ends of the earth. And here we have Samaria believing in such a large way that word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and then they send a couple of their own to, to go see what happened there. So as our passage starts today, there is this very successful uh, time of evangelism, repentance and faith going on in Samaria. But I'll begin by reading now verse 26 and the first part of 27. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. Philip's told to go. And he goes, but it's interesting, he is leaving this more populated area where successful evangelism is going on to go to a lonely desert road. It would kind of be like if Billy Graham were carrying out a successful crusade in Atlanta and, and he were told, now leave that and, and, and go along the road that runs from Ephesus, Georgia to Franklin. Uh, but... Philip is obedient here, and and so he leaves and he goes. And now we read in the middle of verse 27 and following, And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Our eyes are open at this point for God's plan for sending Philip is to meet this Ethiopian man. Now, I I remember particularly when I was in elementary school, there was a huge famine in Ethiopia. Um, So that's kind of what comes to mind when I hear Ethiopia. And the idea of this man being a eunuch is probably bizarre to us. Might even conjure up sort of ideas of weakness when you put the two together, Ethiopia and eunuch and all that. But we get a very wrong impression of this man if that's what we think. Uh, This man has tremendous authority. He is secretary of the treasury of the vast country of Ethiopia in the Candace dynasty. She's the queen. He's the chosen official in her cabinet. Paul writes to the Corinthians, not many of you who were called were, were noble and influential. Many weren't, but this is one who was. And, uh, 
Ethiopia was one of those areas that the ancient Near East would have thought about when they heard the term to the ends of the earth. Uh, Ethiopia then was not limited to the borders that it has today. It included all of Africa south of Egypt. And this kingdom, this African kingdom, was an empire. It had been powerful since 760 B.C. The queens were powerful and wealthy. Art from that era depicts the queens as laden with jewels and fringed robes and notably plump as a sign of wealth. The Greco-Roman sources are unanimous in describing Ethiopians as black. And this man is in a chariot that likely was an expensive chariot covered, horse-drawn, which he will exchange for a Nile boat once he reaches Egypt. Probably had a driver and perhaps additional servants. This Ethiopian, surprisingly enough, was a God-fearing man. And we we get the sense that the name of the true God was widely spread that he would know about Yahweh. And he had made this journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, perhaps for a pilgrim festival, and now he's on his way home. But he would have traveled probably one way, 1,200 to 1,500 miles to get there. That would be like going from Atlanta to Portland, Maine, one way. And uh, someone wealthy, it would take someone wealthy to have a personal copy of a scroll of Isaiah, but that's what he has. And he's reading in the carriage. And given the size of the Isaiah scrolls, the official might have had a servant aiding him and unrolling it. And uh, with the trade that happened between the countries, it, uh, it's most likely, the, in fact, almost certain, that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah in the Greek translation. Of course, it was originally written in Hebrew, uh, but then when a lot of the Jews weren't as conversant in, in Hebrew, particularly those that were in the diaspora, uh, it was translated into Greek, which we call the Septuagint. And uh, so it's no surprise that this treasurer of a great country can read and converse in Greek, and so he's uh, likely reading it there in the Greek version. Uh, we're told that he is uh, a eunuch, and uh, interestingly, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, we're told this, No one whose testicles are crushed, or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And so normally when one became a God-fearer, even if one had been a Gentile, if a man were circumcised, he would be considered a Jew and he would be able to go worship along with the Jewish men. But this man would not have been able to because of his castration. Uh, men who attended royal women uh, often were eunuchs where they attended uh, the queen's or the king's harem or whatever. In Ethiopia, there were many deities that were worshipped, including the sun, uh, especially the Egyptian god Ammon was worshipped. But here this Ethiopian eunuch had traveled uh, for months. This would have been a several-month 
round trip. He was serious in his faith. He was no mere tourist. But in Jerusalem, they would have reckoned him a Gentile, not a Jew. And what's interesting is Luke knows how to specify proselytes that have been circumcised. He does that in chapter 6, verse 5, but he doesn't do that here. Instead, five times he draws attention to this official status as a eunuch. Now I'll read uh, uh, verses 29 and 30. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Philip receives another divine command. He's obedient to it. Stricter Jews would not have associated uh, with a Gentile, but Philip obeys the instruction of the Spirit. And it would have been unusual for an ordinary person like Philip to be able to speak to and address such an esteemed traveler, a person of high social rank. But Philip obeys, does this by divine command. And, you know, when I think of chariots, I think of the movie Ben-Hur. But uh, this chariot would not have been moving at a breakneck speed, probably covered about 30 miles a day, uh, traveled probably on average a little faster than a a man walking, so Philip would have had no difficulty run alongside of it and call out to the occupant. And But as he approaches the chariot, he hears the voice of the, of the eunuch reading. Uh, you know, most of the time when you and I read, we read quietly to ourselves. Uh, in ancient times, it was more common that when people read for themselves, they still read aloud. And uh, Philip hears him reading. Uh, and... Uh, and so here we have this, this Ethiopian man who heard the name of Yahweh, long ways from Jerusalem, has traveled to Jerusalem and is now traveling back. Uh, he's gone there to worship, but, but he still doesn't have an anchor behind the veil. He still doesn't know the Lord fully. And here he is, of all places, in this desert road, going down to Gaza, and you see the providence of the Lord. By providence... The Ethiopian man's there. By providence, Philip has been sent there. By providence, the Ethiopian has a scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading it. <clears throat> and, um, and so Philip go, runs up, and, uh, uh, and he says, Do you, did we read yet? No, we haven't read yet what the part, part of Isaiah he was reading. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the section of Isaiah that he was reading. But uh, Philip runs up, and, uh, and, and he hears this man reading what we'll read in just a minute, Isaiah 53. And with gentleness and care, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip initiates his conversation, but you'll see that, that really from then on it's initiated by this Egyptian Eunuch Philip asks a question, then he keeps quiet and he listens. And uh, the Ethiopian's response is this, verse thirty-one: "Well, how could I unless someone guides me?" And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Inviting Philip to come up in this chariot would have been an honor for Philip. And also, we've got to know here we have an important official, a rich official, and he's modest and acknowledges his ignorance. He could have rejected Philip out of haughtiness, but he entrusts himself to Philip for instruction. CEOs need the gospel too. 
And, uh, it, and so again, he, he has been to and departed from Jerusalem, but he still doesn't know the way of life. And, and we read in verses 32 and 33. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? Uh, I want you to notice that he's not only reading from the book of Isaiah. I want you to notice the portion of Isaiah from which he's reading. Could you find a better portion from the Old Testament with which to explain the gospel to someone? God is preparing him. And in verse 34, we read, The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? The, the, the Ethiopian eunuch understands that, that there's a metaphor being used here of a sheep that is silent, like a sheep that would go to its shearer, but it's not going to a shearer. It's going to a slaughter. It's going to be slaughtered, but it doesn't open its mouth. He understands that this is a metaphor describing someone, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, who is he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? And um, again, you see the providential hand of the Lord. Philip's been led there. The Ethiopian's been led there. The passage that he's read has been led by the Lord. The timing of all this. Um, and also, too, we see uh, that the attempt to squash or squash the Christian movement utterly failed because when they began persecuting him in Jerusalem, that the flame, the illumination of the knowledge of Christ is just, just being sent out from there. But anyway, Philip answers in verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I love that. From be beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus. Philip would have said, Isaiah is talking about a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Messiah that would come and our iniquities would be laid on him. Just as the Old Testament priests would confess the sins of the people over the head of a lamb and symbolically the sins would be transferred onto the lamb and then the lamb would be slain and its blood would be shed. The, the true lamb of God is Jesus of Nazareth the sins of the world were placed on him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Philip would, would have explained this, that he was Christ, Jesus, God's Son, and that for all those who put their faith in him, he grants eternal life and he fulfills the law for them. Philip didn't just talk about religion. He didn't talk about the treasury or the problems in Ethiopia. He didn't talk about how hot it was in Gaza. From this scripture, he preached Jesus. Uh, now I'll uh, read verses 36 through 40. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I believe verse 37 is not in the oldest manuscripts, and so some Bibles will have that, some Bibles will not. But 
But, it, but for sure, he says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And in verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Philip preached Jesus from this passage, and the spirit of God moved in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. And he believed. He believed and was saved. And then very quickly, he wanted the outward sign of his conversion to be applied to him, the sign of baptism. And, and there's great joy here. And Philip is snatched away. And this isn't the first time someone's been snatched away. It happened in the Old Testament. And when it would have been apparent to the Ethiopian man that Philip had just been snatched away out of nowhere, it would have confirmed all the more to him that Philip was a messenger sent by God. <clears throat> uh, dear friends, this, this story is strategic. It's strategic. If you just caught me on the street and said, Hey, Bill, who was the first Gentile convert in the scriptures? It was Cornelius when Peter went to the house of Cornelius but I would have been wrong. And I want you to notice this, folks. The first Gentile convert, the forerunner of all Gentiles who had come to the Lord, was a castrated Ethiopian man. And, and there's something, Isaiah chapter 56, that moves me when I think about as I read from Deuteronomy, because of his castration, he would not have been considered a Jew. He would not have been allowed to go to the court where the Jews would worship. But in Isaiah 56, verses 3 and 5, we read this. When the Lord's speaking through Isaiah about the things to come, he says this, Let no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, Yahweh will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. This account begins that fulfillment. The gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. There was evangelism and many conversions in Samaria. And then with this Ethiopian eunuch, the gospel has begun going to the ends of the earth. You know the hymn, in Christ there is no east or west. In him no south nor north. I'm going by memory here. But one great fellowship of God throughout the whole wide earth. I may not have that exactly right. But in Christ there is no east or west. 
Dear friends, this was a divine appointment. And I realize it has that unique character of fulfilling what Christ said would happen at that time. But let us not lose the missionary vision as some dusty, irrelevant message. What converted this man was the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Philip was of a different culture than this Ethiopian man, but when Christ and the gospel was spoken to him, he was quickened, and as it says in the book of Acts in a different place, all who were appointed to life believe. And so do not be fearful, do not be intimidated. God has come to us and in our trespasses and sins forgiven us, redeemed us, applied the full righteousness of Christ to us, adopted us into his family, and has given us a sure hope. And he could have sent the angel directly to the Ethiopian eunuch and let Philip stay in Samaria. But it was God's pleasure to send a human being to go speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so may we be the messengers in our day. People need the Lord. Uh, my, my father was a businessman. He loved business. He was a banker for decades. But then he ended up being in uh, the life insurance business. And he's also a certified financial planner. He, he had lost his mother when he, excuse me, his dad when he was 18. And I, I think in part maybe that's what gave him such a sense of ministry to help people in financial planning. But I remember he told me, he, he said, Bill, do you know who, who the people are who want life insurance the most? He said, it's the ones who can't get it. It's the ones that are past the point of being insurable. And of course, you and I trust the providence of the Lord. Every single one that has been given to Christ by the Father will be saved. There's no question about that. But within the economy of God, it is our privilege to speak the love of Christ, the ultimate life security to people before they are past the point. And so, dear friends, let us be faithful with the days the Lord has given us. It's wonderful. It's hard for me to believe we're in 2023. Anything about George Orwell's 1984, that sounded really futuristic at the time. And then I never was a Prince fan, but he said, we're going to party till it's 19, like it's 1999. That seemed a long way off. And now we're, what, 40 years past, almost 40 years past one and over 20 years past the other. We're in 2023. The Lord's allowed us to live this long. However many days he gives us, may we be faithful in word and deed, showing the love of Christ. And, and let me mention, if there are any here tonight who have not yet come to the point of believing on Christ or entrusting themselves to him, we don't know how many more New Year Eves we're going to have. <laughs> Our lives are like the dew on the ground, here today, we're here in the morning, and gone by noon.
Jesus is the champion of our faith. He's the guardian of our souls. Put your trust in him tonight if you have not. And let me lead us in prayer.